0: Welcome back. We are Stacks on Stacks, the weekly radio broadcast from the University Libraries at Virginia Tech. We're coming to you live on 90.7 FM, WUVT, and I just lied there, Kira, because I said that we were coming live and we're not
1: live. No, we're never, well, we haven't been live in a while, so.
0: So that's 90.7 FM, WUVT, radio for everyone in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, New River Valley and beyond, because it's also wuvt.vt.edu, and anyone around the world can log in and listen there. So we're live on tape, as it were, Uh, though Kira doesn't like that I call it tape, because we're not actually (laughs) using tape, but that's the era I come from. Um, And speaking of where I come from, uh, one of the places I've come from is the uh, graduate program in history at this university. And so uh, keeping our streak alive of trying to have a guest every week, we're joined by one of our favorite types of guests, students at this university, and coming out of the Department of History, um, it's Jessica hit history graduate student um, here at Virginia Tech. Hello. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us. Jessica's joining Kira to talk about the 24th Annual Brian Bertodi Graduate Conference. Um which is something I'm familiar with because when I was back there in the history department, I planned it a couple of years in a row. And uh, I really like the conference and I like the idea of a conference specifically for graduate students in history. Um, And I'm really uh, excited to talk to Jessica, who's one of the uh, leaders of the planning committee for the conference this year, about um, how that conference has evolved, adapted to the pandemic, what her experiences of it are um so yeah
1: maybe you should ask one of those questions <laughs> well
0: i like to sometimes like preview what's going to be happening in the interview yeah anyway that's the gist of it jessica um uh so t- begin with talking about uh what you're a second year student in, in the master's program in history correct
2: yes so i'm working on my thesis right now which is always a fun time
0: So what is your thesis? I know you all love to talk about that.
2: Oh, yeah. So um, I am working on the infant mortality movement and eugenics um, during the early 20th century. Um, I'm trying to focus more on North Carolina. So during the early 20th century, there was this movement and several bureaus that came out of it to um, solve the problem of infant mortality within the united states um and along with that came the, the idea that while we're saving babies we should just specifically save white babies um so then of course that led to eugenics and sterilization later on in the 20th century but i'm just focusing on this first portion of it
0: wow sounds really interesting it may be a little bit depressing <laughs> but then a lot of history is <laughs> So will you be presenting at the conference as well? Often uh, organizers present as well.
2: Yeah. So all eight of us that are the second years are going to be presenting. Um, I'm presenting specifically on the Better Babies Bureau and their work in North Carolina.
0: So uh, let's start there then. Um and talk about the conference, both as it's a great opportunity for student history students at Virginia Tech, because you get an an early, an opportunity early in your career as an academic to plan a conference like this. And it's one of your earliest opportunities, I think, to present in a public forum. So um, I'd like, if you can, to talk, speak a little, to have you speak a little bit to the value in each of those experiences.
2: Yeah. So last year when we we first years, we were on planning committees, but not really involved in the planning process. Um, So that kind of gave us a sneak preview of what was to come. Um, And then, of course, COVID happened, so we didn't know what was to come. Um, So planning the the conference has been a huge undertaking and then also converting it to a virtual conference. Um, You lose some things that are kind of nice to not have to plan, like logistics with hotels and catering and all that stuff. But then you have to figure out how to host a zoom session for 50 to 100 people um so a lot of us have really banded together to figure out this this zoom session and zoom conference Um, and i think it'll turn out really great
0: so what about the presenting Uh, have you done a lot of uh of uh, bringing your work into the public arena
2: No, actually. So I was signed up for a couple of conferences last year, um, but of course they were all scheduled for March, April, May. Um, So they all got canceled. Um, So I didn't ever get to present the the work that I was working on. Um, So this is my first graduate conference.
0: Great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that can be a harrowing experience for young academics, but I think to have had a hand in controlling the atmosphere within which uh you'll be stepping out there uh has to be comforting right
2: yeah and knowing the so each panel has a faculty discussion and knowing the faculty member that's there and kind of what their vibes are and what questions they might ask is helpful whereas if it's another conference you might know that might not know that person or what they're going to ask
0: yeah so did you nudge know, that? I
2: was going to say, say,
1: Joe, it can be a harrowing experience for season season. Kind of I, right? I I panic every time <laughs> I give a presentation. <laughs> I know, right?
0: Just doing this show. Uh, the basically <laughs> for the reason Jessica
1: pointed out, you don't know who's in the crowd. You don't know what they're going to ask you. You're like, mm, are they going to call me out on something I'm supposed to know? <laughs>
0: yeah. And I, I find, I find uh, the experience over Zoom to be... Uh, both easier and more difficult, right? We've all experienced this, like, uh, you know, a Zoom crowd is sort of, by, de- by definition, much less responsive. Like, you don't, you don't get to read the audience as well as you do a live audience, but at the same time, you're just in your house in front of your computer, so it feels intimate.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you can wear comfy clothes, whereas at a real conference, you gotta have real clothes on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's some pros and cons to both sides and we've got a lot more presenters this year because they don't have to fly in from wherever they're at which is nice
1: yeah are you all expecting larger attendance too because of that
2: yeah i hope so so we have almost 50 presenters this year which is pretty substantially larger than previous conferences um and a couple of those are international students so we've got someone that will be zooming in from geneva switzerland um someone from new zealand so that was an added layer of figuring out time zones when planning um but i'm hoping along with that comes a bigger audience
0: yeah that sounds familiar right here we had these same conversations (laughs) about time zones and international participation with
2: (laughs) alex and karen the
0: other week
1: Yeah, we were, we just a couple weeks ago was the Chesapeake Digital Humanities Conference, which was all virtual. And we had two of our colleagues who were on the uh, steering committee for that. And uh, I remember I went to to one of the panels and one of the presenters was in India. And she's like, I apologize, it's midnight for me. And I was like, Ooh. No,
0: I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That it's midnight for you.
1: (laughs) I don't know that I would give an academic presentation at midnight. midnight. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, uh, this is also the first year um, you will have presentations from undergraduate students, correct?
2: Yeah, so we've got a handful of undergraduates um, that will be Zooming in and presenting. A couple are from Virginia Tech um, and a couple different colleges across mostly the southeast. Um, So we're excited to see what kind of research they bring to the table as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great experience for them. Um, So... um, did the undergraduates participate at all in the planning, the ones from um, the or...?
2: No, so the planning has all been just with the history graduate students. Um, and we actually were going to have undergrads present last year, but of course, the conference got canceled because of COVID. Um, so a lot of those undergraduates that were supposed to present last year actually graduated, are now in grad programs themselves, and are presenting this year. <laughs> Um, So they still get to present that research or the new research that they're working on. um, And we still get to have their participation, which is nice.
0: Well, I remember um, one of the most time-consuming aspects of the live conference was organizing the food, uh, which is something you don't have to worry about,
2: right?
1: Yeah. Everybody bring your own snacks. That's how it works now. (laughs) The downside is there's no free food, but... I mean, yeah, and in grad school that is always a bonus,
0: right? Yeah, it's <laughs> something to look forward to.
1: It's what I remember going to things in grad school just being like, free food, sure, why not?
0: But my the, my favorite part of planning and let's see how you feel about this and what your experience was. Perhaps it um perhaps it's a different experience because you have a larger I mean, the conference has been growing every year, but it, because it's virtual, you probably have a, an especially large pool of presenters, but um um But placing scholars together on panels and then naming those panels, trying to figure out what's this theme? How do do these folks fit together?
2: Yeah, that was an experience this year. So the way we did it, I don't know if it was the same when you were doing it, is once we got all the presenters and they confirmed their participation, um, the first years in their historical methods class helped put together those panels. So me and Iris, who's the other HGSA co-president, zoomed in with them and they were really on the ball with it. Like it took them less time with 50 presenters this year than it did last year with half that. Um, That being said, there's some panels that we got creative with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like there's one panel that's called like new histories of military institutions. Um, And there's one about um the british navy there's one about like confederacy um but they're all kind of about military institutions so we're like you know what we can make that work (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i remember crowdsourcing it in a slightly less formal way just like pulling folks in from the hallway what do you think (laughs) as they passed by but it's a great idea to to uh kick it to the methods class
2: yeah costing people people. (laughs) what would you call this what do you call this (laughs) (laughs) And we had a lot that went together. I guess I was shocked how many went together really easily. So we have one panel that's on protest music and collective memory because there was three or four presenters that were all talking about the role of music within protest, whether with the civil rights movement or within the Middle East. Um, So that's interesting. It was interesting to me to see that line between all these different histories that we could pull together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the exercise itself helps you to, like, think about the way in which uh, pushing research questions in this direction or that direction uh, do have connective threads. And how uh, it, uh, again, I guess what I'm saying is it helps to visualize, like, the broad tapestry of historical exploration. That's a sense beautiful here? way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so the conference is coming up uh, this week. Um, I'm saying this week because... This is airing on Tuesday, even though we're recording it on Friday, which is a week from when the conference starts, um, the March 19th and March 20th. Um, So did you entertain the possibility of live or did you just very early on in the planning say there's no way there's going to be an opportunity to be live?
2: So we- Or rather in person
0: is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We polled the- people who were supposed to present last year and asked if they would be comfortable come March with an in-person presentation or if they would rather stay virtual. Um, And by and large, people responded that they would prefer to stay virtual, especially not knowing when we pulled them back in October, November, what the situation would be like now. Um, So once we knew that, we could start making plans pretty early on for how we were gonna tackle this and make it a virtual conference.
0: Yeah, And so what's your sense of uh, when things do go back alive? I guess you'll be disengaging from, from this conference specifically, but uh, does the experience make you feel like it's a good idea to incorporate a, sort of a, a greater capability with regard to remote uh, presentation for even conferences that uh, do occur in person?
2: I think so. Um, it's been really impressive to me, not just with this conference, but with other conferences, how many different presenters can come to those conferences and present their research when otherwise they wouldn't be able to. Um, So being able to overcome those cost barriers of traveling and flying and everything else, but also being able to see new presenters that, you know, not all grad students can afford to go to conferences. Mm. um, I think that the virtual component of things is really helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely expanded um, participation like we've talked about and, and opportunity for folks to go to stuff they may not have been going to, like you're saying. Um, and the, I guess the drawback is, is that it becomes part of your work day and you're not... Uh, You don't go away to a conference and then you're there and you can shut everything out generally for a long time, for like, you know, a couple of days or whatever you're there and just be at the conference. Now you got a lot of people saying, okay, I've just presented on this panel. Now I got to go teach my class. See see everybody.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's, I went to a couple of undergraduate conferences and it's nice to ignore classes for a couple of days and explore new place um, and hear research and meet new people in person because you can't make that networking connection the same way virtually as you can in person.
0: Yeah. I also remember that another exciting aspect of the Bertotti Conference, or planning the Bertotti Conference, is getting a keynote speaker, and um, you know, thinking through because you get an opportunity to think: Who are some of the scholars? Um, you know, I'm either reading now, or it's work I know, and um, you bring somebody interesting in to talk. And I noticed you have a couple of different speakers, or two or three. Um, could you talk a little bit about the process of? Um, choosing a speaker contacting the speakers and uh who's uh who's going to be participating
2: yeah so we have three speakers this year um two of which it was kind of an easy choice because they were supposed to speak last year um and the hgsa got together and decided that we still liked what they were going to talk about um so we invited them back but we wanted to add a third speaker um so that we kind of had our own choice So we asked for recommendations from the history faculty and staff because a lot of them have connections that we don't. Um, And I don't remember who recommended her, but I wanna say it was maybe Dr. Polanco. Um, Somebody recommended that we reach out to Lydia Kilo Bennett. So she is our third speaker. Um, So she's speaking on Friday afternoon about how she has drawn genealogies of black feminism within the U.S. Academy. Um, And then Megan Kate Nelson is our keynote speaker on Friday evening. She's a civil war historian and she's going to discuss working outside of the academy and how she has been doing writing during COVID. And then on Saturday we have Matt Childs who will discuss how the culture, history, and identity of Africans was brought to Cuba and influenced their experiences under enslavement. So we have a, kind of a wide array of speakers, and we're excited to have them on board.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great lineup. And I'm wondering, so are those talks open to the public? Is there a way that anyone listening now who may have found themselves compelled by your description of the speakers could uh, find the link and participate in the conference?
2: The talks are are open to anyone who would like to tune in. both the keynote speakers and the panels themselves if listeners want to tune in they can go to com to see the schedule or they can email me at jmbravel@vt.edu at edu if they want the links to the zoom sessions
0: so what was that my good repeat that address
2: yeah,
0: my vt com. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah.
1: Got it's it. a
2: little bit of a mouthful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's also unique and people will
2: remember. It. Right.
0: So that's like uh, is that that's a website you maintain at for specifically for the conference or is it just like a sort of a hub for activity for the HGSA, the History Graduate Student Association?
2: Yeah, so it's kind of a hub for the History Masters program and the HGSA as a whole. Um, so there's a little tab for the Bertotti Conference, but you can also see what our students have been doing, like internships and classes and all that good stuff, too.
0: Yeah, what folks are specializing in. And yeah, right. great. Well, that sounds good. It sounds like it's going to be a great conference. Um, so I'll... Th- th- <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Jessica. Uh, it was great talking to you. Our guest has been Jessica Brabble who is a second-year master's student in the Department of History here and one of the key members of the planning committee for the 24th Annual Brian Bertotti History Graduate Conference. Am I saying that name correctly? That's how you say it, Brian Bertotti History Graduate Conference?
2: It's That works if you want the long name. It's the 24th Annual Brian Bertotti Innovative Perspectives in History graduate conference. Oh,
0: that's right. I remember that's part wow. of it. Wow.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, great. It's a, it's a mouthful. Well, thanks again, Jessica, for joining us. Thank you. And before we leave this segment, I want to remind folks of the website myvthistoryma.com uh, for information on the Brian Bertodi Innovative Perspectives in History Conference or just on the History Graduate Student Association here at Virginia Tech in general. We will link to that website. Well, we won't link to. I'll publish that website in the last 15 songs played list. I'll put it in that metadata so you all could see it. Also, if you want, you could find a link at our website, uh, which is a bit.ly. It's bit.ly forward slash VTULSOS that bit.ly again is v-t-u-l-s-o-s it stands for virginia tech university libraries stacks on stacks v-t-u-l-s-o-s because for some reason the stacks on stacks bit.ly was already taken inexplicably anyway that's our name that's who we are stacks on stacks we are the university Libraries weekly radio broadcasts and you're listening to us on 90.7 fm w-u-v-t radio for everyone